0: We've been in Acts uh, 18, and, uh, you know, really, we were talking about God's servants last week and how God encourages them, and when I say servants, that's all of us, not just Paul, not just uh, Peter, the apostles, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy and Silas, Barnabas, but all Christian brothers and sisters. And it's because God personally gets involved with with his saints, with his servants. And he's constantly uh, encouraging us. We know that when Paul went to Corinth, uh, he came in fear and trembling. And then God gave him uh, quite the encouragement. He had uh, new friends that he met, Priscilla and Aquila. And, of course, Silas and Timothy then joined them uh, in Corinth. And that enabled Paul to to devote himself entirely to um, the ministry. And um, we noticed that um, the Jews turned against him, which was not unusual. And so, um, therefore, God um, comes alongside after we find out that um, he has touched uh, a worshiper of God who lived next to the synagogue, Titius Justus. And then the synagogue leader himself became a Christian. That's an amazing thing. The leaders of the synagogue believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians believed in the Lord. This is all what we were talking about last week, right? And then the Lord said to Paul in a a vision at night, he said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Keep on preaching the Word. Go on speaking. Don't be silent, Paul. Don't back down. And even Paul, being a human that he is, uh, could have that tendency to do. And you usually don't think of Paul in that way. So, But uh, God says, I am with you. And uh, boy, isn't that good to know. You have God's power. You have God's preservation. He will keep you. Uh, nobody's going to hurt you. And, uh, you know, don't don't stop. Don't stop what you're doing. Keep preaching it. And then he had a promise. And the promise was there were going to be results out of this because God said, I have many people in this city of Corinth. I have many elect ones. And many of them are going to hear, your, hear the gospel preached and they will come to Christ. And uh, so, you know, they, uh, they are going to respond by faith. God's going to grant them grace as Paul delivers the gospel and the rest of the, uh, the ministers there, the servants, is there uh, at least a year and six months? And that's pretty unusual for Paul. And and we'll see that as we go through uh, most of the book. He's, he's at one place, um, usually very uh, short stints, and he moves on. And that's what we'll see at the end of Acts 18. But in the meantime here, this is an important stay. And uh, there's Connie. How we do? And so... You know, when you when you think about it, he had him actually almost like sit down for a while and he was able to be um, ministering and to get ministered to um, by the Lord and um, people were coming to Christ and we know another place that he stayed for a long time later on, uh, you think of Ephesus and that will come into play in this chapter here, even in chapter 18. So God has his workers, God has his servants, they're his chosen people And he gives them power, he preserves them, and he gives them promises. And that is encouraging, isn't it? And so that's what we uh, kind of dealt with last week. And now we're going to kind of keep looking at God's workers uh, all dealing in this whole process here. Um, And, of course, Paul is going to stick out at first, but there are other ones that uh, God is using in in this area. So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you for this evening, thank you for uh, a time of worship, thank you a time of uh, where we can uh, sing to you and praise you and read your word and uh, be able to be taught by your Holy Spirit, our resident teacher, Holy Spirit, gives us wisdom and instruction uh, right out of your precious word. Thank you for your people and these people here, great saints, servants in the Lord, that, that you've made them. And help us to be even better servants as we look at God's word here tonight and that it would make an impact on us. And thank you for speaking to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, now uh, we move on and um, we, we really emphasize God always in every aspect. And here it is at a time where God is faithful um, and whenever there are disturbances, and there are, God God has already promised Paul that, hey, don't worry, you're okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. And then we get into verse 12, and the next thing we know is that he's being dragged off by Jews to be tried at court, at a big court. Like a Supreme Court, in a sense. <laughs> and um, this is an important time. Um, but he's going to be accused by Jews, you could say fellow Jews, he's a Jew, but uh, he's going to go before the Roman government here. And remember, God said, don't worry. I've got this under control. This is so applicable to every one of us. And I'm sure Paul's saying, what's going on now? God already gave me a promise. And then, boom, we go right into verse 12. And it seems like a persecution starts happening again. But it's neat how God just works things out and we we know that he's going to do it. Sometimes we just don't know how and when, and we get a little antsy. We get a little anxious. And then we have to think Jesus said, "Do not be anxious for Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> God takes care. Now we uh 12 through 17 is what we're going to kind of focus on here for the next few minutes. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law... Look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. What is going on? You ever ask God that? What is going on? It's, I mean, this is practical. But it's it's it. We, we we look at it from God's eyes here, and we know the story. But uh, you get you get inside this, and you see God is always working. Galileo is an important man. I mean, a very important man. He is called the proconsul of Achaia. That may not mean a whole lot, but that means he's the governor. He's governing that area, that whole big area. And he's the older brother of a guy by the name of Seneca. Has anybody ever heard of Seneca? You've probably heard the name. But he was very famous at that time. He was a great philosopher in that uh, Roman Empire. Um, He had lived in Spain, but his influence was all over the place. We have a lot of information that comes from Seneca. And a lot of information was about his brother, Galio, favorable. Um, Galio being the older brother. Seneca also was the uh, tutor to Nero. So, big connections here. By the way, Gallio and Seneca, they're from a very uh, affluent family, very important name there, and um, is also an uncle of one of the world's most famous poets, Lucan, who was a Roman poet. So, they had connections. Famous family. Gallio is a really important fellow here. He's the deputy or the proconsul of Achaia. That's a district. It's like we have governors here. That's, that's what this is. Paul is going to be brought before the governor. <laughs> Think about that. So Seneca wrote about Galileo. Get a load of this. This is pretty interesting. You don't hear a lot about this, about certain people, uh, especially leaders at that time. But he was famous for his kindness. Galio, the governor. Famous for his very, very kind uh, words that he would have. Had a good reputation of that. And it's interesting also, Luke is writing this, right? Luke is one of the greatest historians that ever lived. And because it's biblical, he is biblical, I say he's the greatest. <laughs> um, he was very accurate, a hundred percent accurate in everything that it wrote. Of course he was inspired, but also in his writing he made sure everything was right. And if you go back into history you will see that he was right in what he called him the proconsul. Matter of fact, in AD sixty one to sixty two or fifty one to fifty two, I'm sorry, that this man, Galio, that was his name, was the proconsul of Achaea there in Corinth. Now, that's historically true. Luke writes this, and he is accurate to the T. And that's exactly... As a matter of fact, that would have been a hard thing to do because historically titles changed for a lot of people. And, you know, him uh, writing this and not maybe being familiar with that particular city of Corinth or whatever, maybe he would have used a different name. But no, he, he got it accurate. And that tells a lot for the accuracy of Scripture, doesn't it? And everything that Luke writes down here, like everybody else, is always right. And uh, his history is impeccable, and a lot of uh, secular historians have admired Luke, even though they're not Christians, they've admired his writing for his accuracy. And matter of fact, uh, the more things are discovered, uh, towns discovered, or uh, certain statues with names or whatever, you know... uh, it just makes the Bible look even better. At things where people used to say, "Well, see, there wasn't any of the, that city wasn't existing at that time," and then they start digging it up in, in the 1800s and archaeology into the 1900s, and guess what? Boom! That city appears, or a particular person appears that Luke had recorded, or maybe somebody else. I think that says a lot for our Bible, doesn't it? The Word of God. So anyway, kind of gives you an idea here what's going on with Galileo. Hope I don't get you too bored with a little bit of history there, but I think it really helps out as we uh, go through this area. Uh, Jews are making attack on um, Paul, and Paul, in uh, the Holy Spirit, has been very successful. There are people coming to Christ there in Corinth. In Corinth, remember that's just about one of the worst cities that could be. Many of them said that was the worst uh, as far as immorality goes in all the world. But it seems like everywhere you go, it seems like you hear the same story. <laughs> but Corinth was really bad. And we know that Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians and he really had to get on them. And then later on from uh, Rome, uh, another man later on, it wasn't scripture, but uh, it was very accurate. Clement of Rome wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And he too had to uh, kind of jump on them for their actions (laughs) and uh, so anyway a little bit of history there Um, there's a judgment seat and it says in verse 12 the Jews of one accord rising up against Paul brought him before the judgment seat or the Bema the judgment seat the Bema Uh, it was a movable judgment seat in the Agora the marketplace matter of fact it's just across." the square there from where the synagogue is at. So this is real close. And by the way, by the synagogue is a house where Christians have been meeting, right next to the synagogue. That's because of verse 7, Titius Justice had a house next to the synagogue. Paul worked from there. Uh, That's just, I think, a little bit of humor on God's uh, side too. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Anyway, you could bring your grievances there. Uh, to the judgment seat, to the agora, and at particular times, Gallio then would sit in judgment. And he had his lictors, or uh, what we would be uh, known as uh, policemen. He had his policemen that, um, whenever there were penalties to be executed, uh, they would uh, go forth and do what uh, they needed to do. So they're there, and... Uh, we know that the Jews don't like what's happening with Paul. This is an important court because if we can get this stopped here and nip this in the bud, as Barney Fife says, right? Nip it in the bud. Right? It, it, you know, Christianity in the Roman Empire could really, really lose its momentum. Maybe things could get really tough. So let's take Paul's case to the Roman proconsul. And it might have been that he's pretty new there, and maybe they're thinking maybe they can kind of uh, force him, manipulate him in a way of doing uh, their way since they have a big crowd. But there's a, there could be a precedent set here if they could get Paul convicted as a criminal doing what he's doing. And if you stop it in Achaia, then because and, and Audrey would, there's probably a name for this, right? If if you have a uh, a court case that's done in an important uh, court, then that will follow suit in other court cases. They will use that as documented evidence, and they know that they can go that. Is there a name for that by chance?
1: Res judicata. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you say that again? Res judicata.
0: Okay. Latin, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so, like it would be 2,000 years today uh, from there, uh, it did it back then, and I would think that the history of Christianity could have been affected. Now we know that would be looking at man's way, you know, or, or man's thinking, but in God's way, he he's going to work through anything. But and he's working through this. I'm telling you, he's using this man and he's using the whole scene, but. um, You can imagine, it could have taken a drastic turn uh, in history, at least for a decade or so. I mean, that could have really made an impact had that been the case. It It would have been a little bit harder for Christianity then to be able to go where it did. So, they would say, this man persuades men to worship God according to the, what? The law. What law? The Jewish law? No. The Roman law. See, they're trying to do the same thing with him as they did with Jesus, right? As because the Roman, a Roman government wouldn't care, you know, if it's dealing with their religion. Uh, but if it does uh, affect the Roman Empire, then of course they're going to listen. Well, this, this man's pretty wise, Gallio is. and uh, they're talk, So they're talking about the Roman law, uh, but to them it's really not that. Um, they want to they convict him. And to the Roman people, and especially to Galileo here, uh, Christianity really is no different than Judaism. It's just a sect. It's just winging off of Judaism. In in essence, it's Judaism. It's the same thing. No big deal. Matter of fact, the Romans at that time had um, a a law called religio licta. Ah, what's that, Audrey? (laughs) Religio (laughs) licta. Maybe. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was legal or it was lawful for certain religions. They permitted certain religions. They had a list. And Judaism at that time was, it was okay in certain places. <laughs> now remember, uh, there had been a problem though in Rome where they were kicked out. That's why you have Priscilla and Aquila there. Uh, so things might have been changing there a little bit. But as far as they're concerned, Judaism, Christianity, Christianity is just a sect of it. it it's really not anything different. Um, what the Jews wanted to do was have it not religio licta, but religio illicita. Illegal. Unlawful. Illicit. And that's what they wanted to make it ruled as. Can you imagine the impact that could have made across the world? So, they want to exclude Christianity totally out of Judaism. And they want to get him convicted. What an impact he's made. What an impact the Holy Spirit has made in Corinth where you have people who have led just terrible, immoral lives and all of a sudden, hundreds, maybe thousands being converted there in, in that city. So, Galileo uh, is going to dismiss this case. He knew enough about the Jewish religion, and he knew enough that they, they all looked to a Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah. Paul was announcing that Jesus was the Messiah. Galileo could see that, hey what Paul's brand is of Christianity is just a form of Judaism in his own mind. And um, it was certainly no crime. Galileo sees no big deal. I think it's really interesting to see how God uses Galio to accomplish his will. He's using a pagan leader, a very kind leader, and... um, he makes things work the way that he wants.
1: Maybe and, he's a just
0: leader. Hmm? Yeah, I believe I believe he is just. Uh, of course, the Romans did stand for justice, but what happens to justice whenever man rules with it? He starts off with it with with right intentions, but man is when he's depraved, it's going to be affected in everything. And man's justice, we know that, uh, always tumbles if it's not based on God's justice. Uh, Remember Isaiah 44 and 45? And we read about a man by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus was a pagan leader. But God was going to use Cyrus to deliver his people back uh, into the nation of Israel. God kept calling him, my servant, Cyrus. But he was a pagan. But God uses even pagan leaders to get his purpose done isn't that fascinating he can overrule a matter of fact kings are like channels that he diverts however which way he wants isn't that interesting that's a sovereign God isn't it he says I have my people here and Paul's going to play a big part Paul's going to preach that gospel and they're going to come to Christ and in the meantime this law is not going to affect what I'm going to do here it could, then God would do something different then, wouldn't He? But this is how He's decided to do it. And I think it's another—it's always a victory for the Lord. So, it's its like the case is dismissed. You look at verse... Uh, well, did we uh, read on through? Uh, saying, this man persuades man to worship God, contrary to the law. Verse 14, But when Paul was about to open his mouth... By the way, did you catch that? When he was about to open his mouth, he didn't get to make his own defense. Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. If this was against the law, against the Roman law, yeah, then I would listen to you and I would do what needed to be done. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. It certainly was no crime. And there's Paul ready to give the defense. We don't know what that defense would have been because it's not there. He didn't say a word That's how cool this is whenever God plays this out. He doesn't even let Paul say anything here and Paul could have given a great defense he does in chapter twenty four and in chapter twenty six uh Agrippa you know a great great leader and um Felix, do you remember those guys and So, you know, God lets him give give his defense there. But here, uh, he doesn't. But if he would have been given a chance, I believe he would have preached the gospel. I believe he would have preached the true and central faith of what Israel was about, the fulfillment of the promises of God. He would have mentioned Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or uh, really pointing to this Messiah. And it would have been a great opportunity for him to preach. But he didn't say a thing. This case is not a case. As far as Galileo is concerned, the governor, says words and names, it's all semantics. You're just using semantics here. You all talk about this. This is the same religion. You talk about Abraham. You talk about Isaac. You all talk about Messiah. And you've got one guy here that uh, talks about this is the Messiah. This Jesus being the Messiah. And you don't. It's a theological problem. This is not a problem against the Roman law. And there's no sense of me getting involved. And so that's what Galileo does. Paul didn't open his mouth. He's just standing there. He's watching it all go into place. And you know what? I think there's got to be encouragement in that. Have you ever had... Uh, a point where you 're getting ready to stand up for yourself, and somebody comes right in and says something in your stead, and matter of fact, they just knock it out. Have you ever been there? Probably have somewhere along the line, or you, you wished you would <laughs> but somebody really you know stood up for you that 's encouraging you know when that happens, And really what it, what it looks like is um, his enemies are absolutely ineffective. The Jews who are always trying to usher, usher him into jail are getting beat again. Don't
1: you picture Paul with this of smug satisfaction on his
0: face? <laughs> Didn't have to say a thing. <laughs> they couldn't stop him. The mob. So, now they're really... There's some people humiliated. And... It's kind of interesting. We're not for sure exactly who this could be, but I, I, I think, and different translations come up with different words here, but it says, and they all took hold of Sosthenes. There's different interpretations. Some say the Jews. Other translations actually will have Gentiles. And then other people will uh, comment on this and say it was Jews and Gentiles. And uh, I don't think we have to be really dogmatic about it, but uh, I, I would think in this case you had Sosthenes who's the guy that's beat up. Now, he's the synagogue leader. He's Jewish. If he's the synagogue leader, very well could have been the one that brought Paul up there, and he didn't get the job done. Well, the Gentiles, the Greeks there in Corinth, don't necessarily like the Jews. Those two groups never really got along that much anyway, did they? And whenever the governor says, hey, it's not mine, you got the Gentiles and this whole Paul thing and, and, and the Jews as far as they're concerned. Yeah, he's all part of it too. You know, the Gentiles look at it that way. Uh, most your commentators say these are the Gentiles. They took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, the Jew, the Jewish leader. Began beating him in front of the judgment seat. Right there in front of the Bema. Whoever these guys are, like I said, I don't have to press it. doesn't matter. They, they beat the guy up. He's a synagogue official. He is a leader. He took Paul's beating. Yeah. He took Paul's beating. <laughs> this was supposed to have been Paul. Well, they can't take it out on him. They don't do it there, but they do with Gallio. I
1: think they were mad for getting him
0: all up. Uh, uh, Sosthenes. I think they're
1: mad for him getting them all robbed up So him up or something. <laughs> I mean,
0: I just uh, took I took, of... a, took an opportunity. Um, well, you know they they have they're hostile towards the Jews just generally anyway. We, are, we already know that, right? And maybe at this attempt, it would have been really good had they had done something with this. But um, sometimes, whenever people aren't able to come through, people are ready to throw people under the bus. And this being the leader, where you go for? You go for this guy. Um, could be. I don't know. He he definitely probably, I think, would have been the one who presented the case here to um, to Galio. But it's real interesting what God does here. Um, Sosthenes beat up right in front of the judgment seat. And Galio's he, he really cared for none of these things, he said. He just turned a blind eye walked off and it's about this Sosthenes Sosthenes the leader of the synagogue very interesting you turn to 1 Corinthians since that's where we're at in Corinth and then Paul later wrote a letter called 1 Corinthians and in chapter 1 verse 1 Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ By the will of God. Now, there's a sovereign grace of God, isn't it? Called by the will of God. And, here we go, Sosthenes, our brother. Now, I want to propose that this could be, I won't say 100% for sure, but this could very well be the same Sosthenes who was the leader of the synagogue. We've already had one synagogue leader turn to be a Christian. And who knows, after this little uh, thing that happened, and maybe somebody brought the gospel to him, showed the fulfillment, whatever. Maybe he was violent against uh, Paul and um, the, the gospel. But if this is the same guy, I'm going, isn't God something? He turns one synagogue leader around. And then the next one, who got beat up, being the Jew who brought it up against Paul. <laughs> and we we do have to remember that there were Pharisees that came to Christ after, uh, after Christ resurrected. Uh, temple officials, I'm sure. Uh, uh, priest. I know it says priest in the book of Acts. But you have to think other people. Of course, you have to think of people like Nicodemus who had become a, a believer, you know, at the time of Christ's death, burial. Wow, you, you know, you you think about all this and you go, boy, that's kind of interesting how God did this in Corinth. So, anyway, I, I think uh, we, we definitely know there was a synagogue leader. It's already said that in, in Acts 18 and uh, that being Crispus, believed in the Lord. And very possible that this other leader here is now a Christian, Sosthenes. Now, um we shift gears. Paul got to remain in Corinth for like a year and a half. That's unusual for him. And now it's time to go. Because there are people to go to. There's places to go, people to see. People to bring to Christ and other people to be (laughs) encouraged, to be taught more. And that's really what he does. He just keeps teaching, teaching and preaching. So verse 18, Paul having remained many days longer, so he stayed around there in Corinth, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Chintria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again, if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, went up and greeted the church, went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successfully through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. (laughs) A lot of things going on here. We're in Corinth. You get to be in one place for a while. Oh, that's a good rest. And then God has him moving. He's in transit. He's constantly uh, moving. And now he's going to go to Syria where Palestine is. He remained many days. They took leave of their brethren, put out to sea for Syria, and it mentions Priscilla and Aquila. Now these are in two important cogs and uh, friends that come along with him and they help disciple. Uh, so he's, he's all the way in Greece. He's been, you know, in Corinth. Now he's got to go all the way from Greece to Syria. Actually, he's heading to Jerusalem. And we'll get to that in a moment. This is like a 1,500-mile boat trip. This is a long trip, 1,500-miles perspective. That's like from here to the East Coast, like down somewhere down in South Carolina. South, South Carolina, something like that. 1,500 miles. That's a long boat trip. It's going to take a while. And he has a place to go to that he needs to be there at a certain time. So he's really moving this thing. He's going to wind up in the the Syria area, Palestine area, and he's leaving. And so Priscilla and Aquila are uh, mentioned here. And it shows discipleship. Paul has discipled people in Corinth. Priscilla and Aquila have been discipling people. I mean, they're pastoring people, right? And he spent there like a year and a half. Uh, That may not seem like a long time, but for Paul it is. And you can get a lot done in a year and a half, especially when you get people committed. And so I'm sure he taught the full counsel of God in a year and a half. And I believe that he raised up adequate spiritual leaders there in a year and a half.
2: And this is the case with all the places that he was talking at, because he had already developed disciples. Uh, He was a disciple maker. And... uh, so when he went from one place to another, he just stopped encouraging them, okay, how are you guys doing? Do you have a man yet? And uh, are you discipling somebody? Are you ministering to somebody? So he wanted to be sure that in the places that he had stopped, in the places he was going, is that they, they were carrying on the work that he had left them to do. And uh, you and I have discussed that and how discouraging it is that when you begin to start working in someone's life, and then you think, okay, what are you doing? You know, why are not you not doing something? Mm. so uh <clears throat> Paul had that ability to instill into a person's life to that he's going to turn around and he's going to do it to someone else. Paul had that ability and that is the kind of disciple maker that you
0: gotta be. Well what what is it, yeah, and Jesus said, Go and do what? Make disciples. Mathe learners. Learners of Christ. And then when they do that, when you make disciples, then they go and what do they do? They make disciples. Right? That's what you're to do. You're to find somebody, hold on to them, and give them everything that you got.
1: You have to right? Carmel. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> Am I wrong in thinking Paul couldn't have done this on his own? Oh, no. It was all... I mean, God... But yeah, well, we are too. Yeah, uh-huh. We are too with the Spirit. I mean, it, it mentions to, that specifically uh,
2: you, that... you, you saying, say was, Okay. I see you're what you're saying. saying yeah.
0: Uh-huh. yeah, he couldn't have done it by himself. As good as... As smart as he was, he couldn't have done this by himself. Not at all. But and but then that's that's what... Uh, is even for us today. We have the same Holy Spirit that He does and we should desire to make disciples. If we go to a disciple what what's the ex? what is that exponential?
2: Yes. Right? Yes. And you know, there's sort rules and laws about disciple making. And one of those laws is that you don't you don't let that man go until he has a man. Or you don't let that woman go until she has one other woman. Because if you let them go, then that means that you know that they're not, they're not going to experience what it means to teach another person. So if you let them go, you, you've you lost a blessing yourself, but you've, you've caused them to lose a blessing. So um, you don't let them go until they've got a man, and then you see to it that they begin to start building into that person's life, and then they begin to get a fire going because then they begin to realize, boy, this is really great, man. I didn't realize how much joy it is to be able
0: to Share Christ. Oh, nothing like
1: it. That's right.
0: That's and that's the way that the church developed. That's that is the way that God designed and it's still to be doing it that way. So get a hold of somebody and just pump it into them. However, you became a Christian, there was somebody that ministered to you. And um, you know, some do it maybe in different ways, but they, they make sure that you know what that gospel is. And uh, boy, when you, when you get embraced that way, you can't help but want to develop with others. So, and, and you know, keep doing it. That's, uh, you know, God has yeah. some people there for he it. Encouraging You can encourage
1: somebody else, like yeah. a believer, even if you're, you're not the one that is the disciple in there. So, you can, can encourage them in that walk, so is the disciple that, that to them gives them more weight to consider, to consider. You know, that person will listen more and more then. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of help each other out.
0: Well, uh, and that's that's important. I mean, that's I think that's the gist of of what we're trying to get at tonight. And um, find somebody, disciple them, find them, and disciple them, and, and stay with them, and and see what happens with them. You know, I I think that's the biggest way that um, you can have a, a, a joy in ministry. You can get one person, is that, and then have that one person go to another person. And, of course, churches grow out of that way, but you yourself get to grow like you wouldn't believe. Like you, can't, you, you, just, you just can't wait to be able to teach them another, another part of Christ, what He's about. Well, it's interesting. You have Paul leaving. You have Priscilla and Aquila leaving. you thought, okay, Paul's going to go, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila, right? No, they're going with him. Out of Corinth? Are you kidding me? Well, who's going to lead here now? Well, we don't we don't have any names. Who are the leaders here? What about what about Timothy? Uh, I got a feeling they were sent back out again by Paul. Paul does that. <laughs> you're working under Paul. You're going to be moving to different places. Um, we we don't have the names, but I just want you to imagine here. Could it have been a guy by the name of Gaius? Remember him earlier here in, in Acts 18. Uh, Gaius Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Uh, his name is it, mentioned. That's why they think that, that that could be him. I think so, Darren. Um, how about Christus? The one who was a synagogue leader. What better kind of a guy than somebody that knew the Old Testament and now he knows the way of the Messiah. How about Sosthenes? If that's the same guy. And even if it's not, that other Sosthenes. I mean, there are all sorts of people because they were prepared. They were ready. And it didn't matter who you took out. And those, those are some giant leaders that are taken out of this Corinth. That's what's amazing. They had sufficiently been discipled. I think it's incredible. Uh, look at in Romans 16.3. Acts, and the next book is Romans, right at the end of Romans. All the helpers that Paul had, but uh, of course you usually see that at the end of uh, particular epistles. In verse 3, Greet Prisqua and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So, you know, they had gone back to Rome. (laughs) they were fleeing Rome and they wound up then going they were in Corinth then they went to they were in Ephesus and then they were left there we know because of Acts 18 and then here he is writing and guess where they're at now they're in Rome I mean they just picked up and and left and of course Paul a lot of times was directing how they should go Um, matter of fact I like verse 1 I commend to you our sister Phoebe who is a servant of the church which is at Chintria and that that country's name or that area uh, comes up in our text here today uh, Chintria, it's it's in verse uh, eighteen yeah, in Chintria he had his hair cut, <laughs> so he probably met some somebody there maybe uh maybe Phoebe um, had had this um, house church probably uh served servant of the church was that Chintria. anyway uh what's paul 's deal? Well, probably a Nazarite vow. Uh, he needs to be going to Jerusalem. Uh, but it says in Chintri, he had his hair cut, for he's keeping a vow. And you're probably thinking, oh, he's bald headed. He shaved his hair. And it doesn't really say that. In the Greek, it really means that he, he had a haircut. He went to the barber, had a haircut. Whatever. Maybe somebody cut his hair. Maybe he cut his hair. But there was a time he had a vow of course you can go back into the old testament and um, look at that a little bit uh, numbers chapter 6 and read uh, that whole area uh he cuts his hair because there was a time and, and uh, sometimes it be like it could be 30 days be 60 days there were certain uh time frame that they would have where they would grow their hair, not even bring a razor to it and so maybe it had gotten rather long. Maybe it was uh, quite a length of time. And now that end of the time had come, and he, he cuts it, and then he takes it back to Jerusalem and offers it there. And you say, wait a minute, I thought he wrote the book of Galatians, and now he's following some kind of a Jewish act. Is that, that's what it sounds like to you guys? Right? I mean, what's going on here with Paul? Well, I think there are probably a lot of explanations. For one thing, it means a total consecration to God. You're cutting off everything. You're, you're cutting things off. Uh, not sir, is the word. He vowed a vow. I promise to consecrate myself to God totally. And there could be the sense that, look what God did at Corinth. You know how he said, nobody's going to touch you. You're okay. Just keep preaching the word. And he had an actual vision from God on that. So, uh, I mean, a special thing that he wanted to do with God. Now, now that was a, a Jewish type of thing. And, of course, we're in a transitional time here, too. I mean, the the church is pretty well getting established. And, of course, Paul knows. He knows, and he wrote Galatians. He's not into legalism here at all. Can you put yourself under something like that in a way that is not a legalism, but it's something, hey, I want to do. It's like fasting. Do we have set times that each one of us have to fast? Do we have a Ramadan? No. But there are certain times that each one of us, as individuals, feel like it's a time of fasting. I need to really seek the Lord's will, or I I need to fully show my consecration to Him. And you know, for a day we might do that, or uh, you I might have
2: uh, also with making trying to bring harmony with the uh, Jewish brethren that were there, and uh, not not wanting to cause any kind of friction there. Uh, it wasn't like circumcision or something to that point. Right. So evidently, it wasn't something that was such a major issue, but he wanted to, try to, uh, he wanted to let the harmony take place. In
0: the, uh, exactly. The I think that's probably the biggest reason, uh, right there at the top, because um, to him, he knows that we're set free in Christ, and we're not under any kind of law, and he knows that uh, we're not even... And, and it's probably Passover that he's going to, Probably that or one of the other feasts. But, um, you know, to a Jew, he's a Jew. To a Gentile, you know, he's going to try to get on a level that he can start with. So those things aren't binding him. He's not doing that as a legalism. I think he very well knows that. But um, I think it was important to him uh, a little... Self-imposed discipline sometimes, not as a legalism, but something that that is good for us, is, it can be a very good thing. But I think the real reason there is that as he's going to Jerusalem, and of course they're very Jewish there, and, and the church there is still very Jewish, not to say they're all Judaizers, not at all. But they're, you know, they hang on to their customs, and that's not necessarily wrong. Is it wrong to celebrate a Passover? No. Not at all. We've done it. We've done it as a teaching tool. We didn't do it as any kind of legalism. It was just biblical. You know, it was, it was neat to show the fulfillment of the Passover, and Christ is in that. So, in that sense. But they had to, you know, they would go to the temple, and that's really where he's heading. And, and he's not going to take too much time of anywhere because he's got to move on. And so in Chintria he had his hair cut for he's keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus. And there we go. There's Ephesus. The great city of Ephesus. Man, you think of Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2. Uh, two of the greatest chapters And uh, to my memory. I just love that text. I love the whole book. Uh, can't read Ephesians enough. And, um, of course, whatever what happened at Ephesians? Man, did they have great leaders there. Paul was one of them, of course. Priscilla and Aquila, they're going to be there. Um, uh, Timothy was a pastor there. And um, Apollos, and I think um, John.
2: John was there.
0: Yeah, I think John. And there was a disciple that uh, was after John, and his name was Polycarp. Yeah, Polycarp. And he was there. (laughs) Wow. And then we know that in Revelation, before the end of the century... Ephesus left their first love. Yeah. That was before the end of the century. Some of these are early church fathers, you know, that go into the next century there. But <laughs> they left their first love. Man, did they have... I mean, it was legendary what they had.
2: They could have a pastoral seminar there.
0: Oh, my.
2: They never kind of the one after another preach yeah,
0: that's like the the, the the like you can think of the, the conferences that they have, you know, the, you know with the, the Sprouls and MacArthur's and Beggs and Pipers and uh, on and on, Sinclair Ferguson and all those guys, you know, and they come together at one time, you know, and you feast on that. And uh, so, boy, did they ever have that happening. So he comes there. Ship needed to stop there. One thing we know, the Lord needed to stop there. It's not for very long. He came to Ephesus. And he crossed over that Adriatic Sea to get there. And the work begins in Ephesus. And we can praise God for what happened there, can't we? I mean, Ephesians 1. (laughs) Uh, What a chapter. I just... Oh, I eat that chapter up. Um, Marketplace of Asia Minor. This is a key place. It's called the Treasury of Asia. Do you understand that? Do you remember... Paul wanted to go uh, earlier on to a particular area, and the Holy Spirit forbid him to go there, and he wound up going somewhere different.
2: Yeah, okay.
0: and and then Philippi. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, um, yeah, to the Philippians. And, no,
1: it's not necessary. um to Ethiopia too. Uh, it was, uh, he was would actually go
2: someplace but then God
1: changed his mind and said come on over again. Macedonia. Macedonia 4. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It. yeah, it's in chapter sixteen. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And uh but you know, he was um Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia and after they they came to Mizia. Yeah. Uh they were forbidden to speak in Asia. And now He's at Ephesus, Asia Minor. That's Asia. <laughs> now it was time to go there. That's God's time. God's timing. You say, well, why didn't He let Him do it before? I don't know. That's that's God's purpose. It's His own good pleasure to do what He wants when He wants. And we can say, well, God, I'm really seeking Your will out, and I'm not getting anything from You, and that's what happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, well, here's where you go. You go this door, and then later on, you go back to this. Oh, he works! It's just amazing. He's
2: when he sees this in John's seventh chapter, where he started off and he said he didn't go to Jerusalem right away. He walked around Galilee until it was time for God to, to move in. He sent his brothers to Jerusalem, sent his disciples, but he didn't. But he go. didn't go. He wasn't his timing yet. <laughs> but he still went.
0: He went later. Yeah, I know. It, God and, and everything that God does is always right. You know so. Um, at any rate, Ephesus. They even had the uh, Pan-Ionian Games. It's like the, uh, the Olympics, uh, the Caribbean Games. There was a huge temple there called the Temple of Diana, Artemis of the Ephesians. And, uh, of course, we'll get more on this in chapter 19. But that, that temple was uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. 425 feet long. Think of a football uh, field. Which is 300 feet, 100 yards. Think of it taking another over 100 more feet, 220 feet wide, 60 feet high, 127 pillars, and it has this ghastly image of this Diana, and uh, that's a story in itself. But it is ugly thing, a uh, many-breasted weird god of uh, fertility, and people worship this thing. And this whole pagan superstition grew all up around this Diana and she was famous for making little gods. And So if you had a, a sick child and you wanted that child protected, listen to this, this sounds familiar. You go to Ephesus and you buy this little amulet. And you buy this little amulet and you hang it on the kid's neck. Alright? And if you hang it around his neck, then he's going to be safe forever. It's going to protect him. If um if you're worried about um you know that you know if you're worried about your kid and you're riding in a chariot you just put that little amulet and hang it up there you know off off the mirror in the chariot or whatever
1: <laughs> Right
0: Stick it on the dashboard of your uh chariot that's what you do with it That's where all this kind of stuff came from it all came from pagans
1: superstition also, I think, wasn't it? What's that? that temple was oh, all held all the money. Yeah,
0: and of course there again is another city like Corinth that had the, the temple prostitutes, and as a, the, the city of Ephesus was an asylum for criminals. Get this: if you were a criminal and you you could make it, if you could get to this place, it's a sanctuary for criminals. Oh, doesn't that sound current today? We let people come into this country who are criminals. We let criminals leave who killed people. And we invite them to come here. But the place was a hotbed of rotten people, cutthroats, thieves, murders, anything that you can think of in Ephesus. Wow. Opposition. Opposition you could think that you could probably have there. And that's where the church really thrives when it has opposition. Well, it's interesting. It says he left them there. Um, They came to Ephesus and he left them there. Right there in Ephesus. And he goes straight to the synagogue. Whoever's there, you know, he says, i got a place to go to. Boom, goes to the synagogue. Enter the synagogue and reason with the Jews. He doesn't have much time. And it's, and it's going to tell it here. So, what do you do? You go to the first place where you can get an audience. And it's always the synagogue first, to the Jew first and the Gentile, right? And it's the same kind of practice. Of course, if you go to the Jews, first thing they want to do is get you into jail. <laughs> but he doesn't have time for jail. None of this. He's moving on. I mean, he is really moving. So, um, anyway, I, I have to wonder, let's see, Luke... Silas, Timothy, and he just keeps dropping them all over the place. And Paul is a whirlwind. And I have to think maybe, you know, he's kind of. um, Maybe back then, if they'd had Ritalin, they probably would have given it to Paul. I don't know. You know? he was just going on, dropped off a guy here and dropped off a guy there, and then he'd go back further and come back along, then scoop them back up, move them again, put them in another place, and uh, get and get more people along with this. And uh, so, uh, there's Priscilla and Aquila, and he's going to leave them there in Ephesus. Now, he had a place for them. What a place to go! Why not? And so he's reasoned with the Jews. It's not like he's staying there for days or months when they ask him to stay for a longer time. Oh, we want to hear more about this. You think, okay, let's let's sit down. I'll, I'll be here every Sabbath. No, he says he didn't consent. <laughs> I mean, he's got a crowd. He's got an audience and he's preached Messiah. And he says, I got to go. I can't. I got to go. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again. If God wills, That reminds you of James, doesn't it? You go build a business some some people and and such will make so much money, and after a year here's what we'll do here, you know, and they that's not part of god's kingdom. He says we're going to do this if God wills, if this is what God is doing, you know we seek his will, if this is what God is doing wants to do uh hey that's uh that's great, so this is what Paul has planned if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus, you thought, oh. Paul is at Ephesus. He's going to start the church. He's going to get it moved out and, and do another do a three years there. Well, that's later. But for now, he's got to go to Jerusalem because he cut his hair. And he's got to go take that hair to the temple.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, the For the Jewish uh, people that were Yeah, he had had some help from what? Uh, Timothy of course you got Silas out there and they've been to different places uh and of course you know he makes his appearance in Jerusalem and of course they had poor the poor there in Jerusalem and uh, there had been a famine um and that famine went on for quite some time and that would show the Jews that the gentiles out there had become true believers and it verifies you know back and forth um There's another
1: note there on
2: discipleship too because he had Titus and he had Timothy and even though they collected funds yet he entrusted them to do that and he had they had built confidence in theirs to where he was able to leave Titus at Crete and there there Titus had a, a, I mean a job to do that was, was unbelievable he had to get elders and everyone in the churches and, and so you know so he had he had uh, Titus had gained the uh, uh approval of Paul to, to be the man of God that he was and so uh but he had to start at these low steps. It's kinda of like sweeping the floor. And then uh you move up and you you know so uh yeah, there's there's a first step and then there's another one.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. In 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 Crete they were known as lazy gluttons.
2: The land, yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Evil beasts. <laughs> their own poet said that. Yeah, their own
0: poet. <laughs> Everywhere you go. I mean, it. Well, why wouldn't it be if pagans are pagans? Some, are, some cities are going to be worse than others, but they're all going to be a lot alike in a lot of ways. And you leave some godly man there, and you think, oh boy, get him out of there, and let him go to some... Of like, Listen, if they're grounded and they're sound, that's the kind of people that need to be there to be the salt and the light. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. Yeah, we live in a wicked society. But that's not strange. It's, it'd be strange if, it, if, we, if we weren't living in a, <laughs> in a wicked society. But the thing is, we have the gospel and we are the salt and the light and we can affect the people out there. Man, do they ever need us as much as ever, right? They really do. So there's a lot of... Uh, this is History. But this is history that is right up to date to right now because this is, this is how God works and I think we all could attest to this in a lot of a lot of stories. I I need to bring this to a close, but um, really where he's he's heading for the moment is Jerusalem, and be, and you can say, well, how do you know it doesn't say Jerusalem? And he he sets sails from Ephesus and it's just like he's just there for. Uh, what, hours or something, and then he he takes off. The ship is getting ready to go, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. When he landed at Caesarea, now that's getting into uh, what is known as Palestine. He went up and greeted the church. And it's not at Caesarea. It says he went up and greeted the church. And you know, through the book of Acts, and many other places, and through the Gospels, they go up to Jerusalem. Aliyat. They ascend. And uh, they ascend up. What a hill this Jerusalem is on. A city on a hill. (laughs) Aha. No, that's ongoing. We are cities on a hill too. But, But he goes back to Jerusalem. A city. And then he goes down it. He does his thing in Jerusalem, does the thing at the temple. Uh, probably touches base with uh, maybe some of the the, the believers there. Uh, it doesn't even need to be named. He went went up. The pres- prepositions there, I think, uh, give us all the help in that. So he grieved the church, went back down, and uh, I think that's what's happening. And then um, he went down to Antioch. Now that would be no. He's going north, and he goes down north <laughs> because he was geographically up goes down and he goes to Antioch and that's where you have the place where he was a pastor at a traveling pastor and uh, of course Barnabas was a co-pastor there stays a little while and then he departs well he's moved around had not he Is in Corinth for quite a while and then he went to uh, Trentria a very short time to Ephesus a very short time uh, Caesarea Jerusalem very short time he's at Antioch and it says having spent some time there don't know how long probably wasn't a lot too long he's thinking hey we need to keep getting back to the Christians back there see how they're doing feed them a little bit and because there are people to, there's places to go and people to see and so he just doesn't settle down in Antioch. Wouldn't it have been nice that, okay, I've done my missionary journeys. He's done two missionary journeys and he's getting ready for the third one. So right here in this one chapter, we are in the midst of two missionary journeys. i kind of moving on into 19. So at Antioch, it's the church having spent some time there. He left and passed successfully through the Galatian region. Remember the book of Galatians? When he had gone in through the first time, then he had gone back. Then he had come back through there again. Uh, He was very concerned because the Judaizers followed in everywhere he went. And of course, they did there. We know the book of Galatians, right? (laughs) And Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. That's what he had a concern for them. And so that takes us up to the next section and we are done with that part. But at the end of 18, we get Apollos. And Ephesus, and an introduction into 19, then when Paul will meet at Ephesus again. And uh, things will really get going. Anyway, the history here is incredible how God works, isn't it? Do you see a sovereign God? Do you see sovereign grace? Do you see ministry? Do you see discipleship? Do you see how God uses different people? Just be ready, be available. You can say, "Well, I have my life, and I don't want you know." There's just certain that's just that's the this is my time. Well, if you worked for Paul, (laughs) you just might be asked to go to a different place (laughs) or to do something different. Anyway, reality. Yes, Barb. Just an interest in little back When
1: we meet next week, Lord willing. (laughs) Yes. Always. That will be our one year. We start. We will have started Act one year ago. Really? Today. Yep. I didn't know. I looked back on my paper. How have
0: we done it so fast to get Not to ap- Chapter eighteen?
1: That's my question. You have gone verse by verse.
0: And we had intercessions in between there. I, I mean, there was a different series. We did a series, and I think I'd done. Something a little bit different for a couple of weeks or so? Bad weather day. Hmm, I must be going through this awfully quick, Barb.
2: Sorry about that.
0: Yes, it's talking about discipleship. What well, you got to share there for us?
2: discipleship, this is an amazing come about here. I don't know how many of you know about the articles I put on Facebook. Um... And uh, right now I'm in the middle of uh, the uh, I Am's of Christ. <clears throat> but anyway, there is a young man that has been reading these, and he always puts, I like, I like, I like. So I checked back to see how far back he had been reading these. And uh, it was way back when I was doing those on who is Jesus, uh, going through uh, First uh, John, the first chapter. And um uh, <clears throat> so I thought, Man, he's been he's he has been after that all this time. So I, I um I th- I thought to myself, I thought, well who is this guy anyhow? So I I I clicked onto his name there and it brought me to Bondo, Kenya. And uh there uh his name was Fred uh see uh Alco Alco, Fred Alco. And um, so I, I I introduced myself to him, and I said I noticed that you've been reading a lot of the articles, and uh, I just want to pre- I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you reading them, and I hope that you've been blessed by them. Can I read some of the the, uh, the input that's between the two of us? If, if you, you got to leave, then fine. You know.
0: Straight from Kenya.
2: This is straight from Kenya. His name is Fred, and I, he we go over there, and he says. Pastor, you are God sent to me, and your encouragement, I can say amen. Today, I am so happy and feels honored to read from your chart and pastor the correspondence. Is it online? I've I begun to talk to him about <clears throat> me discipling him. And, um, well, uh, I, I shared with him a few things, and I don't want to read all of this because it take too much of your time. But uh, to make a long Torah story short, uh, he is a pastor in Kenya. And he doesn't have any any training in the Bible. Uh, He doesn't have any Bible studies. And so when he's been reading those articles, he's been just soaking them up. And so... uh, when I got in contact and one thing led to another to another to another Um, and I've got got the correspondence if you're interested in reading it you can read it but um, as I told him I said well he asked me if I had CDs preaching CDs so he could listen to and I said well I know I've given them all to the prison system that I had had at that one time and I said but we can work something
1: does he speak English?
2: he speaks English Yes, and he, he, his English is choppy. Uh, so uh, I told him, I said, uh, "Do you have email?" Well, I looked up on map as to where this guy lives, and it's very desolate, um, and and uh, he has to go to a town to get to his email. It must be a centralized computer with where the everybody library. cyber. cyber. Mm-hmm. It's called a cyber. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so he, that's where he gets it. And he said that the only way that he can go ahead and get emails is that he goes through his cyber connection, and uh, that he can get the materials that I have. And so I shared with him that I have been a disciple maker for 42 years, and uh, and that he he just lit up. And he said, "Oh, if you can just train me, I would be so happy." Wow. And I said, I would be more than happy to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm I'm in the process and I need some help to know how I can do this, because I'm not familiar with cyber. And uh, how, to, how to really begin to uh, send him some materials as to how he can take it. And I told him, I said, the only way I start working with the person is that I need you to sign a commitment form. I do that with everybody. And I thought, I'm gonna do it with you. And he said, Send it to me, I signed it to, I signed it, uh, and so you know he's going to send it back, so uh, he wants and he said to me, I told him I, I told him what the discipleship meant. He said, You train me, and I turn around and I train others and so I, and we're talking about multiplication by discipleship. I mean God already has begun to start a work there in uh, Bondo, Kenya. Um, uh, I don't know how many thousand miles are away from us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But God is doing the work and I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, start, with, start putting some articles in, in Facebook. So I do that. And here comes this guy. And mm-hmm. and so it's nothing else, here is one person that God is beginning to work in the life of. And now
1: that he's a pastor, that's going to come he's out He's a pastor. You know, he's and he is...
2: He, he says that we need help,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and we're so thankful that you're willing to help us. But in the
1: middle of this, <clears throat> in the middle of nowhere, the prosperity doctrine has penetrated, and has got its mm-hmm. clogged in. Oh.
2: He, you... he said that uh, someone had asked him to preach on wealth and health, and he said I'm so sad because all oh, I want I want to preach on sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I I sent him a letter and, and a note on that. But uh, <clears throat> here's a guy; he doesn't have the knowledge, but he has a heart, and he just needs someone to come alongside and help him. And uh, and so you know, this is a ministry that's coming out of this church. This is what God is doing. And and you say. Well, we need to disciple people. Well, God is doing that. God's doing that. And uh, it, it may not be in this... Char- I mean, we're not seeing them. We're not sitting next to them, but it, it's God doing it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we live in a time to think outside the box. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. And uh, I know you guys run into some people that you deal with, too, that don't live around here. Yeah. But imagine the impact that you can make. You may not ever see him here. But the thing is is that God has made a way that Paul didn't have and we don't have to even go outside of our house and we can get to people thousands of miles away giving the, the gospel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but Use it if you can. I mean, that's not the only way to do it, but man, that is a that's a good way that we have in our time that God has given. He's given us a window, I think, and this window is going to shut one of these days because I hear tell that the government would love to take over the internet. Are you hearing that? So, make use of it for good. Yeah.
2: He has a Bible because he uh, yeah he does have a Bible um, but he doesn't have any other helps um, I don't know what translation he has but you know he's in desperate need and uh, he doesn't know how to do an expository um, presentation of the word God because he's never been trained uh, and so, uh, <clears throat> so I, I have to take him in elementary and then move on and, and helping them, but see part of the elementary training that I do is is because you need to know that you don't have to work with somebody else that's a newborn in Christ, and so you're going to have to start
0: have to as you learn it you teach it and then you learn it more than you ever did before when you teach it
2: well you know it's such a it's such an amazing thing to me too is that i've you know i've had many I've got many children in the Lord, and uh there have been those that would would write me, or there would be some that would come to me when I was working with them, and, and they would be so excited. They'd say, oh, let me tell you about something I just read in the Word of God, you know. And see, one of the, one of the laws of, of disciple-making is you don't discourage your disciple You don't know, by saying, oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say that. You act like
1: you're stupid, and you say, oh, tell me, tell what me about it. Now. What did, did you learn? learn?
2: And so, you know, just bring that on out of him. And, and so they, they get excited about that. And that's your excitement because you're seeing that person get really
1: hungry. Yep. Very good.
0: Let's close. Yeah. Fred. Is that his real name?
1: Fred?
2: Fred. Yeah. F-R-E-D. Uh let's see. I think he's A-E-N-O-K-A-N-D-E.